Welcome to Get to the Point, a podcast series by the New South Wales Point-to-Point Transport Commissioner. The Commissioner is the independent regulator for point-to-point transport in New South Wales, which includes taxi, hire vehicles and rideshare, as well as tourist operators. In this series, you'll hear from industry representatives and from subject matter experts as we explore topics relevant to point-to-point transport and work together to ensure a safer point-to-point industry. Hi, I'm your host, Marcus Binet. Today, we're speaking about passengers who travel with assistance animals, the role that point-to-point transport plays and the responsibilities of service providers and their drivers. Today, I'm joined by Nick Abraham from the New South Wales Taxi Council. He's also a representative of the Disability Reference Group. G'day, Marcus. G'day, everyone. Good to be here and thanks for the opportunity of talking assist all things assistance animals. I'm also joined by Fran Diogo from Assistance Dogs Australia. Yes. G'day and thank you so much for inviting us to be here. Thank you, Marcus. It's thank great you, to have Kate. you. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> and Kate Murdoch, who is a massage therapist, a former Paralympian, and regularly travels on point-to-point transport with her guide dog, Wiley. Hi, thank you so much for having us here today. We're thrilled. Kate, the first question is to you. What do you think some of the main issues are being someone who travels with an assistance animal? For a blind person traveling with an assistant animal, and I guess the experience is going to differ for every individual, but some of the common issues that I come across as a blind traveller is things like difficulty trying to identify the actual vehicle you're going to, being charged incorrectly, being asked very personal information at times, being left in unfamiliar situations at the end of the journey, and then up to also being refused a service or having to wait for a driver that's willing to take you in the vehicle. Probably the most common issue that comes across is being denied access into the vehicle or having to wait for a driver that's willing and also then just locating where the actual vehicle is at the pickup point. So what do you mean by that, locating the vehicle? It's a matter of trying to identify which is the pickup car or the taxi amongst all the other cars and being vision impaired, I do rely on my dog to guide me to the cars, but at the end of the day, they are an animal. They're not going to know exactly which car is for me and which car isn't for me. Being able to be very clear which car is picking me up can be difficult. And also with the cars being so quiet these days, you can't always tell that there is a car waiting for you. Yeah, and I remember you saying that when we were talking before that sometimes a car will pull up and you don't actually know that the car's there or the driver doesn't realise that you're the person that they're to pick up because you don't know they're there or you don't know how to let them know that you're there. Is that something, Nick, that you see as well? Do you hear that from drivers? That's one of the challenges with picking people up? Yeah, definitely. Firstly, as we see changes in the landscape that we operate in, particularly around the Sydney CBD and other areas where unfortunately curbside space is quite a challenge. Trying to have a legal and safe location to be able to pick up and drop off a passenger is one challenge. 
But then when you have a person with a disability, particularly a person who may be also using an assistance animal, it makes it even more because drivers obviously always want to go that extra mile to make sure that they drop them off or pick them up from the point which is most convenient for that passenger. So that can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. Also, obviously, when it comes to book services, it might be a bit easier. However, the convenience of rank and hail, which is great and serves a great purpose, but from that perspective, taxis play an even more important role with identification, particularly for the person with the assistance animal. And this is where tactile numbers and raised numbers play a vital role in helping a person, particularly a person who may have vision impairment, in trying to identify the vehicle. And this is why we are very proud of the compliant rate that we have with taxis displaying tactile and raised numbers to make it easier for that person to be able to identify the vehicle. Yeah. yeah. yeah thanks, Nick. And some of the points that you raised, Kate, things like you don't know the car's there, you don't know how to find it, you can't hear it. What are the consequences if you miss the car or you don't find the car or the driver drives away without identifying you? The consequences are often that then you're obviously running late. <laughs> so whether it's another connecting transport, whether it's an appointment or going to work, it's a delay in that transport, which can have that ongoing effect, the same as any other person. Yeah. Um, just to add to that as well as part of the disability reference group that we have running we have obviously a range of different people with different types of needs and just to add to Kate's point that's a critical one where there are those appointments that can get missed but these are not just a doctor appointment that is scheduled weeks out these could be specialist appointments that are scheduled six months or sometimes yeah. up to 12 months in advance so if a person misses that appointment that's vital and that has a longer term effect because to get back in and see that specialist again is critical but also the the impact on other types of disabilities. For example, a person who may be suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, also we understand there are knock-on effects that they have, including feeling disorientated, anxious, stressed, particularly around the fact that they're not getting a vehicle that they require or not getting the transport that they need can have significant impact on those people as well, suffering a wide range of disabilities. Yeah. And so, Fran, being with assistance animals, why is it good? How do they help people? There's a range of assistance dogs. So in Assistance Dogs Australia uh, programs, for example, we've got um, assistance dogs supporting clients living with post-traumatic stress disorder, like Nick has mentioned. So these are policemen or ex-servicemen that maybe couldn't leave the house for over two years, couldn't go to places that they were used to going before they acquired the trauma through their workplace. And then getting the dog means they can actually go to places, they can focus on the dog more so than what's going on in their heads. They've mm -hmm. got the dog there to help them regulate their emotions if they're feeling anxious about leaving the house. We've got dogs for autism. These are parent handlers helping their children regulate more, being able to get out of the house more as well, be involved in day-to-day -day activities and just do them independently. We've got a range of programs, but we've got dementia dogs, like Nick has mentioned, we've had some assisting people that would rely less on their carers as well, going on certain places more independently. But there are also other types of assistance dogs that we are aware of, for example, medical alert dogs. That could be someone that suffers from a seizure, then is a dog there to prevent them knocking their head on somewhere so they can anticipate up to 40 minutes before a seizure and alert. There are diabetes alert dogs. There are a range of assistance animals these days that I think people should be aware of. The disability might not necessarily be 100% visible. Mm. With our physically diverse 
clients. Of course, they might need to ask for a point-to-point -point vehicle that's suitable for wheelchair. But again, it's just a matter of understanding there's a variety of disabilities and people might need the dog to be able to do those activities. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the challenges then that raises is that Kate's dog's obviously a guide dog. And Kate, if you were to see it, it has a particular type of a harness so that it's identifiable as a guide dog. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, it's quite clearly distinguished as a guide dog with a particular harness type, carries a medallion with him as well. So it shows his registration as a guide dog. But not all assistance animals do that, do they? Yeah, the other range of assistance dogs would have an identifiable jacket. So if they're yeah. learning in Assistance Dogs Australia program, we have an L jacket, but they're a learner, they're learning how to perform that task. So they essentially would need to perform that task in different environments, mm -hmm. different vehicles, so they can get used to that exposure and they can then service the client. If they're qualified, they would have a qualified jacket. So we have just the company logo that is supporting that client and they would have their license, which is renewed annually. So there's always an expiry date and they've got an ID tag that goes into their collar, same as uh, Kate has mentioned as well. So they should be recognizable as assistance animals. Yeah. Yes, they should. From personal experience, not all assistance animals do wear a harness or a, a coat or an identifier or may not be as clearly obvious yeah. as some of the other ones. I have yeah, personal experience as a former driver myself. Unfortunately, I, I did learn uh, the hard way in my early days of, of driving. Uh, but one of the big lessons that I have learned is also uh, the fact that not making any assumptions, I think is really important and asking a question. These passengers have had a lot of experiences and are there to assist us also in helping us with our awareness and understanding. So by asking the right questions, and uh, Fran mentioned the license, which as I understand is called the public access license that they must carry. And a driver does have a right and is entitled to ask the passenger if they could show the public access license, if there is ever any doubt. We always encourage drivers, obviously, to be respectful and sensitive as to how and when they ask the passenger for that. Yep. But there is their support there and assistance. But I think if you're ever in doubt, just ask. Yeah. Asking the passenger goes a long way and passengers totally understand about why a question may be asked yep. and are there to help and yeah. assist. Yeah, that's right. And I was going to say, so Kate, how can drivers help you? What can they do to make your life easier or to make any life easier of people traveling with assistance animals? Sure. Personally, I've had some absolutely wonderful experiences with drivers and I've made some very good friends as well through the whole point to point travel program. The most positive experiences has been with drivers that just do genuinely care about the well-being of me and the animal and being aware of different programs that are in place to support people with disabilities. So being the taxi subsidy scheme as one example. So just having a knowledge about what the best practice is there, but also just being friendly and being yourself. 100% agree. If you're not sure, ask questions. Usually the person is very happy to talk openly about what would help them, but definitely just caring, asking, is there anything you can do when you get to the destination? Is there anything I can do to make sure you're in a comfortable position for the next part of your journey? Very simple steps that has made a huge difference. Yeah, like what Nick is saying, just asking questions, finding out how they can help, just, yeah. yeah. And with the dog etiquette, just ignoring the dog as much as possible and then helping those because some drivers absolutely huge dog lovers and they get very excited. It's quite comforting to come into a space where you do feel very welcomed. But it's also then helping us to keep the dog very professional as well so that when there's other 
people that aren't as keen in having a dog in the vehicle that the dog will behave as professionally as possible. So it is a bit of teamwork there where we're working together so that everyone wins. Yeah. Nick, you were going to say something I was before? just going to ask Kate, and it's great to know that, and obviously understanding that the role of the assistance animal and the dog in this case has a role to play. And we talk about drivers assisting the, the passenger. Is there a point where, we know drivers love to help, I know that, which is fantastic, but is there a point where drivers can probably try too hard or too much to help where we've got to be very careful with that so that it doesn't impede on the personal space of the passenger or the role or the function that the dog may play in this particular case? There's no harm in being too helpful. I think the main thing is, though, if someone says, no, thanks, I'm okay, it's just to respect that and listen to that and then trust them when they're saying, I'm actually okay for the moment and you don't need to do anything more and to not take it personally. But I think offering help is wonderful. I'd rather be offered too much help than not enough help in that case. So it's, I think, yeah, just listening and being respectful for what the person is saying in that moment because it can be lots of different scenarios that could be talking about here. But on the whole, people do want to help. Keep that going, absolutely. And Fran, you were going to say something? Yeah, I'm with you, Kate. And from what I've heard over the years from our clients and from, I guess, understanding the mental health aspects of the support of the animal, getting to a vehicle could be a trigger for a client that was involved in a number of accidents and, or rescuing people from vehicles. So I think if the drivers understand as well that that person might be going through a tough time just getting on a vehicle, relaxing during the journey, and the dog might be able to doing animal-assisted intervention, contact skills that we teach to help the client calm down. So if they're focused on their dog and they're just taking a minute, I guess it's a visual cue to, yes, they need a moment. Or if the dog, if it's a child in the spectrum that it struggles a lot with the noises of the vehicle or the traffic noises, and it needs a dog to intervene in their lap or do something like that. If the dog is climbing up on the seat for that matter, I guess it's understanding that's a skill that we train to settle the child. So if the parent is directing the dog to do it or if the dog's initiating it, it's picking up on the emotional needs of the client. And I guess that's a moment where the driver can just, I guess, respect it. They're having a moment there. Let's let the animal do what it's trained to do. And then, of course, after whatever it's needed, it'll be able to, I guess, they'll be able to convey the message. Oh, we're okay. Thank you. Or it's understanding a subtle communication aspects. You've touched on there what some misconceptions or misunderstandings that people have about assistance animals. What other ones are there? When people see someone with an assistance animal, what are some of the things that they misunderstand? And I know one of them, they're pets, when actually yeah. they're not pets or yeah. that they're not trained properly or... One of the misconceptions is a dog is trained and it will be like a robot. So it would respond in a very, very mechanical way to different situations. But no, they are emotional beings like we are. They experience emotions. So we train them to be emotionally solid when they're traveling through different contexts in the world. And that includes traveling in a vehicle. So they are trained, they are socialized very early on from six weeks of age. We might be already doing things with the litter. And then from eight weeks of age, we train them into going into different vehicles, just being able to board under control and exit under control, travel safely, stay calm. But they are essentially emotional beings. So if they're having a hard time, 
and they are somewhat misbehaving, the handler is trained as well to respond and to help the animal calm itself down. But they are emotional beings like us. So we might be having a, a tough day one day. We're not performing our jobs <laughs> exceptionally. I guess having that understanding, but knowing that the handler gets the training as well. So our clients are trained to respond and support the dog as much as the dogs are trained to respond and support the clients. So yeah, there's a lot of exposure and repetition involved in training them. And then with the clients, we do extensive training when replacing the dog with the client. But if it's a new team, they might be slightly more nervous when they're encountering these situations. And then of course they get into that relationship, the bond, and they get more comfortable as they navigate the world. And we support them with yearly training, yearly check-ins and ongoing support for the lifetime they've got the dog. So I guess understanding that we're always learning and evolving. The assistance uh, teams, the teams we call them, I guess, with client and dog, are evolving and learning and uh, developing mm. their relationship yeah. further. And Nick, you're champing at the bit there. It's an important point, Marcus, yeah. the question that you ask around <laughs> some of the views. And I think Fran touched on most of them, but there's a few other common ones, unfortunately, that drivers may carry in relation to misperceptions around that. And Fran, you mentioned about the pet, or you mentioned about the pets. They are not pets. Let's make that very clear. There's an important role and function that assistance animals play, particularly for their handlers. The fact that the dogs can dirty or soil the taxi is yeah. definitely an incorrect thing. And in actual fact, go out to say that an assistance animal will be cleaner than a lot of other passengers that drivers carry. And let me tell you, they are trained in a meticulous way that particularly yep. on a Friday, Saturday night, I guarantee you, you're not going to get an intoxicated assistance animal making a mess in your car. Yeah. Let, me, let me assure you that. But, a lot uh, of animals you pick up on a Saturday night that don't have that, four legs. Yeah. <laughs> on a serious note, uh, in relation to beliefs and religious beliefs or uh, I don't mm -hmm. like pets or it's against my belief or any of those um, uh, views, um, the bit that Fran talked about, the dog getting out of control and so forth, all incorrect. And Fran, as I understand it, is it a couple of years that a, that a dog goes through training? It's quite an intense, I'll let Fran maybe talk to that, but to yeah. ensure that they are that the, the assistance animals are well behaved and are actually clean and performing a very vital role. Accredited assistance dog schools and guide dog schools will have very, very clear protocols about the welfare, the care of the dog. The training, like I said, starts from eight weeks of age and they might be around 18 to 24 months old when they get placed. So there's a lot that goes into that. At ADA, for example, they are in puppy education for you know, 12 to 13 months, and then they have 21 weeks of advanced training and they are assessed for the different roles, but we are constantly assessing the dog's behavior, how they interact, how they respond in different environments. And then, like I said, we do extensive training with our clients and that dog will go on to work with the client for all the way up to when they're like nine years old. But yeah, they're, they are trained to toilet on cue. They're trained to hop on and hop off vehicles under control. They are exceptionally well trained for the work that they do. So I guess, you know, way a driver would possibly identify a dog that's not genuinely an assistance dog and unfortunately that does happen out there so I guess it's important to say this like I said the important identification points that a registered accredited assistance dog will have are important and I guess part of our industry advocacy is to get more regulation and more support the genuine clients that are navigating the world with the assistance dogs are welcome and treated with respect and dignity mm. because they're deserving of being able to live their lives and do things on their own and have the animal support them yeah and just a, a quick question they're not all assistance animals are labradors that's right isn't it but yeah so in our program itself we've got a diverse amount of breeds. Majority are Labradors or, or Golden Retrievers or the crosses between Marcus, but we have placed a Cavoodle, a Grudel, a Australian Shepherd, 
We have a Bernese Mountain Dog in our program servicing a client with PTSD in Victoria. Isn't that a big dog? It's a big dog. Yeah, yeah. Bernese is name. So in America, they've used a lot of Bernese Mountain Dogs to help clients that transfer from the wheelchair onto another surface because, of course, they are sturdy enough. They can hold a stand position that can be used to be transferred to and from their wheelchair to the seat. Bernie ended up getting to the post-traumatic stress disorder career because of many things. A lot of our clients do rely on point-to-point -point transport mm. because they don't like driving or they're unable to drive. You might have to accommodate a Bernese Mountain Dog depending on the client's <laughs> needs. But uh, I guess as a whole, the dog has been trained and will be behaving according to the accreditation standards that we identified as suitable. And like I said, we do reaccreditation every year as well as the guide dog schools will do. So the dog is obviously always working to the optimum performance. And if there's things to address, like I said, dogs are not robots. We might have to do retraining or support, but organizations that are working according to the guidelines we're giving are doing that constantly to improve the welfare of the dog and the client at the yeah. same time. Kate, what's your dog, Wally? It's Wally, isn't it? Yes. So what's he trained to do when he gets into a point-to-point -point vehicle? He's trained to get me to the door usually it's at the front door of the vehicle and then either depending on where the preference is to sit for me often it's to sit in the front of the vehicle and have the dog then sit in the footwell so i'll get in the car first move the seat back and then wiley will come and curl up at my feet and just sits very quietly yeah Sometimes as the dogs do age, though, mobility of the dog can differ a bit. So getting into the car can be a little bit different or it might be easier for the dog to sit in the front than in the back foot well. But generally, it's a pretty easy and smooth transition. Yeah. So the point is that they don't get in, jump around, make a mess. They're very specifically trained to get in, to sit, to be still. Yes. Yeah. Stick quietly until the end of the journey. <laughs> and they're trained to get out first and then take us on our merry way. They won't interact with the driver unless the driver is obviously doing things to distract. Then yeah, that's when it can be a little bit more vocal. <laughs> is there any preferred location or position that you prefer or a person with assistance animal prefers to sit in, in the vehicle? The front is preferable because there's just a bit more space than in the back. And then you can have, if you're carrying a bag or whatever, then that can go in, into the back as well. But the, uh, the front is preferred, but you can certainly move. You can sit in the back, but the driver would need to assist uh, in moving the seat forward as it can be, the, both the base of the seat and the, and the back of the seat to be moved forward to give as much space as possible. So ultimately, back. obviously, the preference sits with the passenger and where they're comfortable and they like to sit. Also, yep. if a driver's ever unsure, just ask. Would that be right? Just ask the yep. question. Yep. Please ask. Please ask. Yeah. One issue that you mentioned when we were talking before was you might be waiting on the side of the road for a car and when the car comes, because you don't move towards the car, the driver is not sure that you're the right person and they may drive away without realising that you're there because you don't obviously know that they're there. How can they help in that situation? What would a driver be best to do if that was the case? It would be wonderful if a driver could acknowledge that they're there. So whether it's coming out of the taxi and approaching you and saying, I'm here, hello, or whether it's winding down the window and calling out my name, that that's just 
some of the most basic things that can be done, which just really helps a lot for for me to be able to identify that this is the right vehicle and it's safe for me to go forward. And that will then also prompt the dog to go into gear and to guide me to the vehicle as well. Nick, you were going to say something? Yeah, can I just to help facilitate that better connection between the driver and the passenger and the assistance animal, I think there are two key roles here that I think if done properly can actually help deliver better outcomes. One from a passenger perspective, obviously ensuring at the time of the booking that you state that you do have an assistance animal, which can be easily identified from that perspective. But I also encourage drivers, make sure you check all the details, whether it be on your screen or on your app, making sure that you understand all the details of the booking to then understand and see that this person may have an assistance animal or may have a mobility device or some other form of assistance that they need, which also means that you need to make sure that you understand that you're prepared to go out and provide a level of assistance for that passenger. So those little bit of information can go a long way in helping that facilitation. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually, Nick. So Fran, when you're training, you're obviously training assistance animals. Do you have to train the people to use the assistance animals? Because I'm thinking of the kind of things like Nick says, if I'm ringing up to book a cab, tell them, I have an assistance animal, which is fairly yeah. obvious, but do you have a training almost for the people who yeah. have the animals? Yeah, so we, we run a 10 days class when the clients first get their dog. And of course we go through an intensive interview process, matching the right dog to the right client. And then we when we go to that uh, point, we do pre-training and then 10 days of a class where the, the client's learning how to use the dog in the different life scenarios that they would need to. So we do encourage them to communicate that if they're making a booking. There are also circumstances where they might just have to present themselves in some situations and ask for help or support. And I guess this is where they expect that there's the understanding that they might need the support as well. Just on that note too, and I agree with you, Fran and Nick, but sometimes there are avenues where you can't actually notify when you're making a booking that you do have an assistant guide dog or assistant dog, assistant animal. So often with the automated the taxis, if you call in a taxi, it's a press one if you want to be picked up from this destination or two if you're ready to go now. So there's just not that option to do it unless you go through and actually speak to a, to an operator. But I think it is a bit better for the shared cars. Slightly different for the rideshare providers, is that what you're saying? Okay. Yes, yeah. The passenger does have the option, if you don't like using the automated system, you can go to the option of talking to an operator. So please, <laughs> I, I want to make sure that passengers aren't discouraged from if there's a need for additional instructions or information to choose the option to actually talk to an operator because mm. uh, it's important that they do have that information. Just on that point to Nick, there has been experiences where you talk to an operator and you disclose, I've got a guide dog, and they will say, that's okay, they're allowed, we don't need to tell the driver. So there, there are mixed messages, I think, there. So and that's fine. It'd be good for drivers to be aware that sometimes that information won't come across. So they might be a scenario where they're picking up a person with an assistant animal and not knowing beforehand that was going to be the case. But that's good insight and feedback, Kate, because what we do need to have is consistency across the industry. So if there's further training and education we need to have with call centres and service providers, I think it's a good call out and something I think, again, we always look at continual improvement in this space. And if that's something that we need to work on to get right, then we're committed to make that happen. So thanks for the feedback. Yeah, agreed. Good call, Nick. Yeah. If I may add something as Please. well, I think 
A lot of people do recognize guide dogs as an assistance animal more so than an assistance dog because of the misconceptions and the lack of education sometimes available to people about these other disabilities and how they impact someone and how they impair them and how they really need the assistance to be able to do things. We appreciate the opportunity to continue educating everyone. There's different types of uh, disabilities, there's different types of needs and the clients, if they're asking to have the animal there supporting them and they've gone to the extent of getting an assistance dog, getting trained, waiting sometimes, in our case, waiting sometimes a little while uh, to get the animal accredited and trained with them. Yeah, it goes a long way for them that they are recognized and they're accepted and they're included. Yeah, and that's one of the important points to make that assistance animals are not just dogs and they're not just Labradors. They can be any number breeds, of breeds. Yeah, yeah, different breeds. Yeah, that's right. Just in closing, Nick, do you have anything last thing you want to say? Any particular points that yeah. are relevant? Thanks, Marcus. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Just a couple of key points I'd like to, to finish up on. One is right on the outset, Fran noted the benefits and wonderful benefits that assistance animals provide for the handlers and the passengers, which is great. But that's all pointless and meaningless if they can't use and access the transport modes to get them to enjoy that better quality of life. So the role that point-to-point services, including taxis, play in helping facilitate that connection between the passenger and enjoying that better quality of life is absolutely vital. So the big message up to, uh, to drivers, particularly when you do sign up, to drive in the point-to-point industry, you do sign up to drive a taxi, there's a commitment that you're making to follow the rules, the laws and the regulations that come with providing that service. Now we know driving a a point-to-point service, in this case a taxi, has many rewards and benefits in doing so and fulfilling your obligations, particularly around ensuring that you love every fare And that's the point, particularly with a person with a disability, particularly with a person who relies on an assistance animal to get around is an important role that you need to play. And if you are not prepared to fulfill that obligation, I'll ask you to think twice about joining this industry because there are laws and there are regulations. And this is one of the consequences we probably haven't discussed around refusing a fare for a person with assistance animal. We're talking about fines of up to $1,100 for a driver who may refuse service. We've heard about the knock-on effects that it has on the passenger, but there's also other consequences around potentially being dismissed from being able to provide further services or dismissed from the industry. So there are serious consequences for those that do choose to not do the right thing but on a positive note we do uh, provide a wonderful service for people with a disability and uh, we are proud of that and uh, it is a very rewarding industry and I encourage drivers to come in do the right thing but most importantly help those passengers with a disability make a difference to their life and help them uh, fulfill that role of getting out and enjoying that good quality of life. Thanks for that Nick and that is a point that I did skip over yeah there's that statement about the legislation that point-to-point drivers are not allowed to refuse to carry a passenger who has an assistance animal. Yeah, that sits under the point-to-point transport regulations, but it also sits under the Disability Discrimination Act. So there are a number of laws there to protect the passengers, and we need to make sure we are aware of those and we fulfil our obligations. Absolutely. Good. Thanks, Nick. Any final closing comments, Fran? We just appreciate the opportunity of educating the society further. Any, any, any chance we've got to speak, and we we're very passionate about the human-animal bonds, how our dogs are transforming the lives of so many clients. We just wanted to say thanks for including us in this conversation, mm. and yeah. Thanks, it'd be good to have you. And Kate? Yes, I agree. Thank you so much for this discussion. It's been absolutely wonderful. And I, I mirror Nick in what he's saying. The role that drivers have in the lives of people with a disability is just so 
important. I personally wouldn't have been able to work or train or do the things that I need to do in order to get through my day-to-day activities without the support of these wonderful drivers. So please don't underestimate the value that what you offer us has on our lives and our community. So it's the most efficient and safest way for us to travel. And we truly do thank you for considering our needs and for looking to grow as well as a driver. Thank you again, Kate, Fran and Nick for being here today to talk about this important topic. And I hope the session has been informative for our listeners. If you want more information, we've developed a toolkit and a series of shareable videos on assistance animals, which are available on our website. A video version of this podcast and transcript is also available. So visit us at pointtopoint.nsw.gov.au. If you found this information useful, please feel free to share this recording. My name is Marcus Binet, and this podcast is brought to you by the Point to Point Transport Commissioner. Thanks for joining us.